May is Fibromyalgia Awareness Month. It's important to raise awareness about this chronic and often debilitating invisible illness known as fibromyalgia. This month-long campaign is an opportunity to educate people about the symptoms, causes, and treatments of fibromyalgia, as well as to show support for those living with these and other related invisible illnesses. Through increased awareness, we can work towards better understanding and management of fibromyalgia and ultimately improve the quality of life for those who are affected by it. And now on to this week's episode. This is the second episode of the series on Rosemary Kennedy. Rosemary Kennedy had a clinical picture consistent with autism spectrum as well as ADHD. We are listening to her story so we can gain a better understanding of what it was like with unrecognized conditions and the struggles that the Kennedy family went through, let alone Rosemary, in trying to get help. We are picking up where we le- we are picking up where we left off from last week, talking about the challenges of having someone who had disabilities, especially intellectual disabilities, and in the history, and talking about eugenics. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, I encourage you to go back and listen before you start this week's episode. Remember that while I am a doctor, I am not your doctor. All signs and symptoms should be discussed with your own individual physician. And now on to this week's episode. Rose and Joe's peers had been influenced by the influential eugenics movement that swept Western societies during the latter part of the 19th and early 20th centuries. Eugenics was fueled by pseudoscientific claims that the human race consisted of two classes, the eugenic and the cacogenic, or poorly born. The poorly born, eugenics claimed, inherited bad germplasm, and thus, at the very least, should not breed as a group. African-Americans, immigrants, the poor, and criminals were often deemed cacogenics or poorly born. The intellectually and physically disabled were another category of defectives. Eugenic scientists and other followers believe these individuals were also the product of inherited bad genes and should be treated much like the mentally ill, criminals, and the chronically poor. Forced sterilization, they argued, was society's cure. Some believe that spending money on insane asylums, poor houses, and other charitable and poor social institutions and programs serving the mentally ill and disabled only encourages the propagation of bad seeds. The parents of defectives carried these bad genes, an idea that squarely placed the blame and shame on families. Some of the most prominent industrial scientists and political leaders of the 19th and early 20th centuries, including President Teddy Roosevelt, supported these views. Wealthy industrialists such as John D. Rockefeller, Andrew Carnegie, John Kellogg, Mary Williamson Harriman, and early feminist Victoria Woodhull became advocates of eugenics, funding spurious research promoting racial and ethnic discrimination through false claims of genetic deviance in non-white and ethnic minorities. Such labels as morons and mentally defective further complicated an already difficult life for Rosemary and her family. Much of the origins of the eugenics movement comes back to the origin of species and Charles Darwin's brother, who really 
forwarded this idea that there was modern evolution occurring and that the idea that we kept a bad gene pool alive was actually halting the progress of humanity. Sadly, Adolf Hitler grabbed onto these ideas and implemented them in Nazi Germany. For Rose, reading eugenics literature and hearing such words describing her loving, lovely daughter were stressful and heartbreaking. At the time, some churches, including the Catholic Church, refused sacraments to intellectually disabled children. This was an immense hardship for them. Many of these issues drove them to drive or mold Rosemary into the likeness of themselves and her siblings, an impulse that fed their constant pursuit of a potential cure for Rosemary. Eunice later recalled that my parents, firmly believers in family loyalty, rejected suggestions that Rosemary be sent away to an institution. She remembered her father arguing about what they do for her, that their family can't do better. We will keep her at home. But keeping her at home had become increasingly exhausting and challenging. This eventually hit a crisis point. By the time Rosemary was 11, they decided to send her to a private boarding school after a year of private instruction at home. Her daughter's young age must have made Rose hesitate. Developmentally immature, Rose always had difficulty adjusting to new situations and demands. This is not uncommon and is part of the core features of someone on the autism spectrum is that need for sameness and consistency. The Kennedys didn't realize this because they didn't have the education of what her diagnosis was and understanding of what the autism spectrum was. Living away from her home and family would be quite destabilizing for her. Still, the Kennedys felt they had no other acceptable alternatives. Her persistent lack of academic progress and the rising tension and frustrations facing the Kennedy household as it tried to accommodate her at home drove the decision to send her away sooner than they would their other girls. The Kennedys chose the Devereaux School in Pennsylvania for Rosemary. This was run by Devereaux, who had individualized. And when we look at the eugenics movement, we may pat ourselves on the back and say, well, we never would do anything like that. But it really should cause us to seriously pause and consider and ponder deeply any kind of surgeries that we're doing that are life-changing, that are permanent, that occur more often in those who are living on the autism spectrum. For example, we know that eating disorders are more common with those who have a neurodivergent-style brain and nervous system, whether it's autism or ADHD. And if they come in and say, well, you know, I think I'm really um, obese and overweight and they have body dysmorphia, we have no indication to say, well, we're going to affirm you that you are obese and that we need to encourage more weight loss. No, we want to speak the truth to them and say, no, uh, your brain is processing things differently. Um, just because you feel a certain way that you're obese and overweight, we don't implement uh, uh, surgery for inappropriate weight reduction. Kate Larson continues to pick up talking about what happened more during her teenage years. And as she aged as a teenager, she became more uh, emotionally unstable. These um, school 
sent Rosemary to were not equipped to handle a girl that was unstable or intellectually impaired. And and so it, it was just one bad decision after another, another that they made. But they made it because they had the money and they thought they were doing the right thing, but they were not doing the right thing. One of the schools that Rosemary went to was the Devereaux School. At the Devereaux School, Mrs. Devereaux believed it was important for students to explore. Her belief was that disabilities need not cause feelings of difference and isolation, but instead had the power to create strength of character, bringing each child closer instead of farther away from a sense of belonging to more immense humanity, which each child longed to be a part of. After some initial struggles with adjustment, in time, Rosemary made the necessary social adjustments to the boarding school, showing an excellent social poise and charm at times. Her coursework included drills in spelling and math, grammar and reading comprehension, as well as more hands-on developmentally appropriate work in handicrafts, art, sewing, and drama. However, her struggles to achieve academic success fueled the anxiety that manifested itself in outbursts of impatience. Rosemary's problem, the teachers believed, was rooted in low self-esteem and self-confidence, requiring continual encouragement and positive reinforcement. Her niece believed that Rose became exhausted by the responsibility of taking Rosemary to doctors, educators, and psychologists. Joe, though supportive, was easily upset by Rosemary's lack of progress and inability to use opportunities for self-development. When we talk about impatience and low self-esteem, anxiety, all of those kinds of struggles are consistent with what we would expect with someone who not only has the autism spectrum, but also has ADHD that, again, wasn't recognized then and, again, wasn't treated, sadly. The Kennedy children were expected to take full advantages of the opportunities their wealthy and demanding parents afforded them. Then the Depression collapsed and the country's total value of money fell by 50%. Still, some wealthy families, including the Kennedys, could take advantage of the deeply discounted prices to acquire real estate, businesses, and others. By the end of 1935, the Kennedys were ranked among the wealthiest families in the country. The Kennedys could continue paying for private boarding school for Rosemary and their other children. She had made some positive strides writing some stories about the Robin and her trip to Washington and performed well enough in math and other subjects that the school reported to Rose at the end of Rosemary's first year. However, her low self-esteem and low confidence remained a major stumbling block to her success and episodes of irritability reflected her frustration and anxiety when she could not perform. In the second year there, the staff had spent a year working with her strengths and struggles, but her teachers soon discovered their progress with her had faded over the summer, found her even more resistant to completing reading and writing assignments, and math continued to pose a significant challenge. In a November progress report, teachers complained to Joe that Rosemary dislikes exerting the effort to accomplish acceptable results in math. Reading comprehension suffered because she skips a good deal and fills in from her imagination. Though she still lacked confidence, the teachers found that Rosemary did not care about making the effort necessary to attain good results. Her short attention span frustrated the teacher's attempts to teach her to persevere. 
They believed she was capable of more, but how to prove that remained elusive. Rose's achievements in classwork are seldom commensurate with her ability, and an effort is being made to bring her work up to the standards she is capable of. This makes me, again, think of untreated ADHD and how there is a disconnect. Even though she was measured as a low intellectual ability, here the teachers recognized that if she could focus or concentrate, she was underperforming to her intellectual abilities. Living up to her potential was a difficult task, and she had so definitely acquired the idea that her abilities are negligible and her work cannot reach higher standards. Rosemary was unaware of what the school told Joe and Rose and tried to convey to her parents that she was doing extremely well academically. In a carefully printed letter to her mother just four days before the report from the school was sent home, she reported, I am working hard, mother, because I get 100 in arithmetic all the time. I am wonderful at spelling. Several strict rules and guidelines determine rewards and the earning of special allowances. The staff preferred few interruptions in a child's education, discouraging frequent visits from family members and trips home. Earning a few days of vacation at home for Thanksgiving could have been an incentive to get Rosemary to work harder. Rosemary may have suspected something was amiss then. In the same letter, she pleaded with her mother to let her come home for Thanksgiving. Did you ask Miss Devereaux if I could come on Thanksgiving? You said you were going to do it. Please do. Only 12 years old, Rosemary still suffered from the separation from her family. I miss you very much, she wrote her mother. Give everybody my love, please. When you go up to see Joe and John, now at Choate School in Connecticut, give them my love, please. Write me a long, long, long letter. During her third year, many kidnappings were happening in the country, including the son of Charles Lindbergh. Because of this, Rose had always been afraid that people who were mentally defective had a higher rate of running away from home and becoming more sexually promiscuous. Rose worried that she would run away from home someday and get lost, or that she would meet them in an accident, or that she would go off with someone who would flatter her or kidnap her. Rose's concerns were not unfounded when we look at the rates of pregnancy, even in the modern times of those in girls who have untreated ADHD are 10 times more likely to get pregnant before they're married. And there is a much higher rate of being a victim of sexual abuse for those who are on the autism spectrum as well. Rosemary's kidnapping concerns were not unfounded. Rosemary or any of the other Kennedy children could have been easy targets of ruthless kidnappers. Whenever Rosemary was home, which was brief, Rose would closely monitor her menstrual period. She resented Rose and continued to test her parents. Patience and her actions played on their fears. She resented having a companion join her when she traveled by train, and she would occasionally deliberately run away from caretakers. Sometimes she delayed returning home after doing an errand for her mother, setting Joe on edge until she finally appeared in the doorway. Believing that the special education Rosemary received at Devereaux no longer benefits her in ways they had hoped, Rosemary transferred her to Elmhurst, the convent of the Sacred Heart in Providence, Rhode Island, in the fall of 1932. Their expectations were clear. 
They wanted Rosemary to progress in school as though her intellectual limitations were easily overcome. A school such as Devereaux for slow children had never been their permanent plan for Rosemary. Rosemary seemed high-functioning in many ways. Her teachers at Devereaux had assured her parents of her social skills. These attributes lent credence to Rose's and Joe's belief that she could achieve academically. However, by the end of two years at Elmhurst, Rosemary's penmanship was poor. She had poor spelling and grammar remained similar to that of a 10-year-old, though she was 15 then. She wrote a letter, Thank you, dear mother and daddy. Thank you much for the lovely letter you sent me. I got three bottles of perfume, but it's all right. I'm satisfied. I like the handkerchief a lot. Thank you very much for everything. I appreciate it so much. Everybody thought the picture was grand. I cannot thank you enough for everything you have done to make Elmhurst so happy. Thank you again for your kindness. I have a birthday gift for Alice Reddy. We had eight children at the party. Latin test I had. Pray very hard, and I will get someplace. I tried as hard as I could. History and doctrine are the last. I went to the first and secondary elementary prizes. They were as darling as they could be. I will be so happy to see you all. Lots of kisses, Rosemary. By the fall of 1934, Rosemary, age 16, was enrolled in another private school, this time in Brookline, the suburb of Boston where she had been born and spent her early childhood years. It is likely related to the lack of achievement at Elmhurst, which had once undermined Rose and Joe's hope for her advancement. They believe that the Miss Newton School in Brookline offered Rosemary a more rigorous but supportive educational program, and it was thought it was suited for her individual attention and encouragement. The Newtons provided instruction to gifted students and those who struggled with meeting academic challenges. This was her third time in a new school in five years, which meant weeks of adjustment for Rosemary. A new living and learning situation posed anxieties that manifested in moodiness, uncooperativeness, and emotional instability. These patterns emerged early in Rosemary's childhood, yet her parents regularly moved her from school. Barely a month into the first semester, Rose wrote to Joe that Rosemary raised Cain in the first week. Still, Miss Newton and her mother have both told me you would never know the child. A little more than a week later, he was reassuring Helen Newton. I talked very firmly with Rosemary and told her something must be done. I am sure she really wants to do it. It is something else besides her that must be blamed for her attitude. But that I mean her inherent backwardness rather than a lousy disposition. John F. Kennedy, whose own boarding school antics and lack of attention to his studies generated more than a few patient but scolding letters from his father, was encouraged by Joe Sr. to cheer Rosemary on. It would do Rosemary good if you would write her. You know it is special to have a good job, that we have a good job up there this year. John F. Kennedy, like his brother Joe, could be counted on to help Rosemary feel important. Every time, in an interview, years later, it was said that Rosemary loved new clothes and a pretty haircut, and watching her weight was no different than the other teenage girls. Whenever I would say, Rosemary, you have the best smile and teeth in the family, Eunice said she would smile for hours. Rose remembered that even the slightest attention or compliment directed towards Rosemary resulted in hours of happiness. She would be thrilled if I said to her no more than Rosemary. That's the most beautiful hair ribbon. This is an example of rejection-sensitive dysphoria and the opposite effect. 
people who are living with ADHD are much more likely to have emotional dysregulation. And that can be a hypersensitivity to either real or perceived criticism. And at the same time, a hypersensitivity to praise, just like for Rosemary. She felt so good for so many hours when somebody said just something nice about her, just like a ribbon in her hair. In addition to educational help, the Kennedys sought out other medical evaluations, including a Dr. Lawrence who did experimental work. He was a renowned endocrinologist and chief of endocrinology at the New England Medical Center. He said, I believe that the disruptions in sexual development were due to dysfunctional hormone levels produced by the pituitary gland which were at the root of many developmental and emotional problems in teenagers and adults. Well, that's true in some aspect. We know that dysregulation, malnutrition can delay onset of puberty, for example. And, but that was an overextension to say it applied to all developmental delays and problems. Dysfunction was already linked to dwarfism, gigantism, arrested or slow development of sexual organs, poor sperm development, or regular or inconsistent menstrual periods. But Dr. Lawrence was not a psychologist or psychiatrist and focused exclusively on the endocrine system and function of the pituitary gland, which is the normal and abnormal function of the human body and its effect on the nervous impulses and intellectual development. Rosemary may have been treated for allergies as well. She also may have been given an antihistamine or phenobarbital at the time to relieve anxiety or sedate violent patients and in some cases alleviate epileptic convulsions. However, without further information, the specific purpose of Rosemary's pills remained a mystery. Joe and Rose hoped Dr. Good would help cure Rosemary's backwardness. Stay with us. We'll be right back. I want to briefly interrupt the podcast to inform you about the Fibromyalgia Starter Pack, which is now available. If you are new to this podcast, it categorizes the episodes in a way that is more beneficial for those new to fibromyalgia. You can access the link in the show notes to learn more. Dr. Lawrence told Rose and Joe that with these endocrine treatments, Rosemary will be 100% all right. Dr. Lawrence believed he was already seeing considerable improvement, though he tempered his enthusiasm by noting it may have been his imagination. But his medication, supplements, and injections proved ineffective. In spite of Joe's sense that Rosemary was better, no hormone injections were going to cure Rosemary's intellectual disabilities. When those didn't work, they sought out Walter Dearborn of the Psychoeducational Clinic at Harvard University's Graduate School of Education, where he was doing necessary research on learning disabilities. They did realize that Rosemary was weaving because the two educators realized that Rosemary could not tolerate academic lessons beyond lunchtime they found that breaking up Rosemary's day between academic lessons with craft activities helped her with concentration and gave Rosemary opportunities to talk about her academic work. 
This reminds me of our discussion earlier this year from the book, Your Brain's Not Broken, and Tamara Brozier, who talks about all these different grids and some of the more tedious problems, as she calls yellow, that are not interesting and not fun are very hard. And in contrast, things that are interesting and fun, called green activities, are recharging of the batteries. And they recognize that doing all of these tedious learning activities were draining on her. Continuing with Rosemary's story, math continued to frustrate her. Later, Rose had her see Mary Baker, a teacher in New York who worked with special children like Rosemary. Reading, writing, and vocabulary drills would be promoted through history, geography, civics, and science lessons interspersed with athletics, music, shopping, and leisure activity. However, Rosemary was not only a challenging student for the young woman, but Rosemary's attitude towards her work and consequently made daily interactions with her exhausting, the teacher wrote. Now she makes herself unpleasant when she finds herself in a situation where she must think. If she continues with this, she will become more and more challenging to live with. Daydreaming was her problem, Rhody believed, causing Rosemary to brood too much about herself. Rosemary has been allowed to escape too much for her own welfare. She has found it more pleasant to daydream. Little by little, she must be brought to face reality. It will be a long siege, but it can be done. Walter Dearborn, who had been working with her for two years, observed not only that Rosemary was socially awkward, but also that her anxiety and fears in public seemed to result from intellectual blocking due to tense social settings. Her clumsiness and incompetence raised the looks of concern, embarrassing and frustrating her even more. Just how this problem could be addressed was a question left unanswered. Rosemary would not progress as her parents had planned. Rosemary and her sister Eunice then went on a tour of Europe during the post-depression era. Joe Sr. took the position of ambassador to England in the late 1930s. Kennedy family went to London before Rosemary went there to get adjusted, thinking if they can get settled in and be more stable, then it'll be easier for Rosemary. But before she got to London, she was admitted to the hospital the hospital told reporters that she was not ill but would remain under observation for about a week. In fact, Rosemary had been in the hospital since the third week in March. The specifics of Rosemary's health conditions are not known. At the moment, it remains a mystery, though it is possible that anxiety regarding the upcoming trip abroad may have exacerbated pre-existing physical or mental conditions. The cause of six to eight pounds of weight loss in 10 days seems very likely to have been secondary, if not primary, goal of the hospitalization. On further consideration, it could very much be considered that Rosemary went through autistic burnout. The high stress of new changes and trying to process that made her much more emotionally dysregulated, resulting in loss of appetite, depression-type symptoms, anxiety-type symptoms as well. Rosemary's adjustment to the new surroundings in London was bound to be difficult and slow, and this is why the majority of the family went there first to get settled and then be ready for Rosemary's needs and to accommodate them once she arrived. They had a special debutante season in London for the elite young British women of Britain's highest society. 
Rose wanted the girls to attend, but the pressure on Rosemary being in almost constant public view with the social pressure would be enormous. Her family and close friends, the Moors, worried that she might do or say something inappropriate or reveal her intellectual limitations. The British aristocracy had long shunned their own mentally disabled and mentally ill family members, hiding them away in sanatoriums, mental hospitals, country farms, and cottages, and a favorite of British novelists, attic rooms. To present Rosemary, an intellectually disabled adult, to the monarchy at Buckingham Palace during the debutante season was more than a bold act. A debutante with intellectual disabilities would have stirred long-held prejudice about passing defective traits to the next generation. Joe and Rose were determined to keep the family secret, ensuring Rosemary was treated just like all the eligible young women presented at that court. Rosemary was stunning, more beautiful than her sister. The few weeks of practicing the perfect St. James bow, smiles, handshakes, and ballroom dancing had paid off. Almost to everyone's embarrassment, Rosemary tripped and fumbled in front of the king and the queen. Quickly catching herself and avoiding a reputation-shattering fall to the floor, Rosemary accomplished her curtsy and followed her sisters into the ballroom. Fortunately for Rosemary, she did not take the embarrassment as seriously as others in the room, and her evening was a success. She danced and chatted graciously like many of the other debutantes. Years of training and the close supervision that Rosemary received helped mask her intellectual challenges so successfully that no one seemed to suspect how profoundly different she was. Many assumed that the older, prettier sister was just a little more reserved or shy than the younger and more outgoing Kathleen. But Rosemary, in her beautiful gown, received the most attention from the British press. Rose would later complain that the London papers reported on Rosemary's dress to the exclusion of Kathleen's. Given Rosemary's struggles, it would take concerted, coordinated efforts by Rose, Joe, and Rosemary's siblings to monitor and guide Rosemary through social situations outside of school. Rosemary and the Kennedys came back to the United States. Rosemary wrote her father that she was again on a diet, eating her meals at the table, desperately wanting Joe to approve of her. She told him, I don't want to be fat. I will surprise you. She wrote in her usual poor scrawl. She assured him that she would not try to worry her mother. That's where we will finish this week's episode. We will finish off the last in the series next week on Rosemary Kennedy. So much I find interesting when you look back at history and the different perspectives and how we look at those who have intellectual struggles, uh, disabilities, and how much we can learn and appreciate about our current understanding. Although there is so much more opportunity for improvement, we should be thankful also for what we've learned over time. If you've enjoyed this episode, please hit the like or follow button, leave a rating and review, and share with others. That way more people can learn about fibromyalgia and related invisible illnesses. Until next week, go Team Fibro!